Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. I'm Jeff Wagner. And I'm Hunter Ginn. We should thank some people who recently got in touch and told us they found the podcast and are pretty psyched about it. These are dudes with exceptional taste in music and apparently podcasts. Guys like Bjorn Bauer, Rob No, Joe Sampson, Wade Conrad, Simon Springer. There are others, and uh, sorry if we didn't mention all of you. Uh, also, thanks to S. Craig Zoller for his generous contribution. You can also donate to the cause. Please do so by leaving a review on iTunes, which helps people find the show, and also monetarily because time is valuable and this takes a lot of time. It's a passion project first, of course, but think of it in an NPR-esque way, right? That PayPal ID is radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact us at that same email and tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and suggest topics for future episodes, although I think we have about the next 20 planned, don't we? <laughs> we do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wolf's Lair Abyss. This thing came out in 1997. What's your relationship to this album, Hunter? I, the reason I ask is because at first, mine wasn't great. We have a shared relationship with this EP. Um, I'm the same way. I was actually pretty underwhelmed with it when it came out. I'm not exactly sure what I expected, but I think I expected something a little more apparently radical, though the innovations of this album sort of unfold the more you get to know it. And yeah, so at, at the time, um, I, I just, and too, like 1997 was a year packed with so many exceptional records. I mean, you had Omnio and Eternity and Notten's Magical and uh, La Masquerade and Second like Portnagar album. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, on and on and on and on. Um, and this just kind of got, it was, I, I guess, like the subtleties of it got lost for me. And, and I've shelved it for a long time. <laughs> As listeners of this show probably know, we agree a lot of the time. We don't choose to agree. It just, this is how the universe has sort of like brought us together. And we, we tend to agree on these bizarre things a lot of the time. This is one of them because I had the exact same response. Like, yeah, I was into it. Yeah, I kept it around. Yeah, I listened to it some. But all that other stuff was seeming a lot more important at the time. Maybe it was. And maybe it would. But yeah, all its nuances that we now know from having listened to it over the years and especially recently, these, these were lost on us back then. How bizarre. I didn't even know you. Yeah, I know. But then, you know, Grand Declaration came out and just completely rocked my world. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I, I, it rocked everybody's world for, uh, you know, for better or worse, um, because it's still a, a pretty polarizing album. Oh, yeah. um, but that that invited me to revisit Wolf Slayer. And yeah, I mean, it's sort of been near and dear to my heart ever since. But I have to tell you, like, um, and I know you share this, too, like recently and, you know, as the years have passed, um, it, it's it's only grown more special to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, the reason for this episode is simply because I, I just picked it out of the racks one day, like, oh, I haven't listened to this in a while. I, I'm kind of ready for it. I'd been listening to a good bit of Gorgoroth, probably my third favorite black metal band, Mayhem being second and Bathory being first, just if we're, if we're tallying such things. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I was, you know, I'm always enthusiastic to take a sit down with Mayhem. So I did. And it just hit me in a completely new and different way. I just was so moved by it found all the nuances. Uh, Blasphemer's guitar work had never sounded better to me. Of course, it's, you know, it's at its peak on Grand Declaration. But um, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll talk a whole lot about this EP as we move on here. I think it's necessary to say at this juncture that it's impossible to talk about this album without first addressing its predecessor, 
an album recorded in 1992 and 93, finally released in 94, uh, De Mysterious Dom Satanus. I don't think we really need to get into the history of what went into that album in terms yeah. of like, you know, why, why they didn't go on with Euronymous. I think everybody knows he was killed. So let's move on from that. I, that's just not something that we want to repeat because it's been repeated thousands of times. Am I right? Thousands. Yeah. So after his death, you know, most people I think doubted that the band would be able to move on without him. And that's, and that's fair, right? That's kind of like, yeah, no, I mean, he was the linchpin of mayhem. I mean, conceptually and musically. Sure. But move forward. They did. Uh, Necro Butcher came back into the band. He was an original founding member. He's the bassist, not necessarily like a huge creative element in the band ever. And I'm sure he'd be the first to admit that still a huge part of the band period sure, in, found in terms of their yeah. sound in terms of their spirit and of course hellhammer stayed on drums maniac came back who of course sang on screamed on 1987's death crush ep <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was a good move to kind of tie in a little bit to their past keep some continuity as much as possible you know in the wake of tragedy and drama and all that then came this guy named rune erickson on guitar uh, better known by his stage name, Blasphemer. He got his start in a little-known band named Testimony, uh, who released a 1992 demo of pretty average death metal, I guess. Not bad. He had joined Aura Noir at an early point, but that's really all he'd done up to this point. And, and he had some huge shoes to fill, man. So I think, I think that was part of a lot of people's hesitance with this album. It might have been, oh, sure. been part of mine. Yeah. I think what I would like for us to do is to play from the dark past and and then maybe talk about uh, Blasphemer and Euronymous within the context of that. I really want to talk about Attila's vocals, but we're not really here to do that. We'll do that another time, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but let's, yeah, what about Euronymous's guitar style, the way he attacks and sort of his chord voicings? It's, this, is, this is the mayhem sound. It, right. 
the lineup that we are going to discuss in the greatest depth tonight, the Hellhammer, Maniac, uh, Necrobutcher, Blasphemer lineup, is criticized by a lot of people that love De Mysteries, and, and particularly Blasphemer, who's seen as kind of the, the harbinger of this tragic new mayhem sound. I feel like those <laughs> critics are really contradicted by the guitar work in this song. I mean, there are all these, like, these smeary guitar slides and these, like, Voivodian dissonances that just kind of hang in the background. I mean, this is, like, really futuristic guitar work, right? Definitely, like, definitely. Blasphemer is, is accused of heresy for basically just expanding the, the vocabulary within Mayhem. But I feel like Euronymous would have done the same thing naturally if he had lived. I've made the argument before, both in print and just to you and to other friends uh, who love mayhem that, and, and nobody can speak for the dead. And, you know, that's, that's important to note, but knowing what I know of Euronymous, having listened to his music, read interviews, whatever, the things he liked musically, I feel like he would have loved where mayhem actually went. Well, Necro Butcher's gone on record as, as having said that. Yeah. Uh, Hellhammer too. I talked to Hellhammer yeah. once for, my book being deviation, he said the same thing. I, I had to ask him, I was like, do you think Euronymous would approve of grand declaration? He said, absolutely. Well, I mean, you think about the, the progress that they made from death crush to day mysteries. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge leap. I mean, so why would anyone expect him not to kind of continue along that evolutionary track? And if we look at the world he came from and the world he helped start, which is that whole Norwegian black metal thing. And of course, a lot of the bands that, you know, began as black metal moved far away from it. And I think Mayhem just would have been one of those. Even to this day, even with Esoteric Warfare, their latest album, it's not their newest, but because they're not very prolific ever. <laughs> um, but there's, they've retained the whole black metal thing. They've never gone away from it. But I think they would have gotten weird with or without Euronymous. I don't think that's uh, a matter of debate. But apparently a lot of people uh, think that what they did without him was, you know, tantamount to blasphemy. No, <laughs> no semi-pun intended. <laughs> you think about like a guy, um, you know, who's into, you know, German electronic music. You know, like Euronymous was not some sort of like hidebound listener. Like he was a really curious listener and, and, and player, too. And I think that translates into his guitar work. And I just think it's, it's kind of silly to expect a guy that made those leaps and bounds over the years to have just, like, stayed where he was on Day Mysterious. Sure. And let's, let's listen to the title track from Day Mysterious before we move on, just to get a little more taste of what Mayhem was then uh, so we can kind of bridge Day Mysterious and Wolf Slayer Abyss. Thank you. 
So with all the talk we've done of the guitar work and everything Mayhem was about back then, uh, I think also that song just helps establish if we need any reminding that uh, Mayhem's really into that blasting, freezing storm cloud sort of vibe. I mean, <laughs> yes. You know, it, <laughs> they really are at their best when they're blasting. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, but I think Attila's performance on that song um, is important to note too because it, it anticipates some of the things that we're going to hear Maniac do, you know, as we continue down the road toward uh, Wolf's Layer Abyss. For sure. Great. But I, I'm, I'm with you too. Like, Mayhem is not like the most like rocking black metal band. Yeah, they, they it's, I love like what you said, the storm cloud. Exactly that. It's just like this cloud of pure bedlam and, and yeah. chaos. Yeah, yeah, just this black obfuscation. It's just great. I mean, <laughs> granted, our favorite Mayhem record, Grand Declaration of War, uh, isn't a lot of that. But when it comes in, you're kind of reminded of of, of that hailstorm they can bring like no other. Yes. Um, so here we are. I mean, Mayhem actually pretty quickly rebounded. Um, I think if you look at the release dates of De Mysteries versus Wolf's Lair Abyss, it doesn't look like they rebounded that quickly. But they actually kind of did, um, just in terms of getting yeah, getting another lineup together. So they reassembled. They're ready to establish their name again and uh, entered the studio to create this five-song work, Wolf's Layer Abyss. They recorded it in Studio Studio and Far Out Studio, and the mixing was done at Jester Studio. That might give you a hint that Garm from Oliver and Arcturus was present and helping the band on a lot of levels with the recording, and so was Newt Valley from Arcturus. Clearly, though, Wolf's Layer Abyss is really not about anything having to do much with the more progressive or avant-garde elements of those bands. However, it is an, it is an EP of layers and, and they take up for me and you, I guess from, from our very similar stories in terms of getting into this EP over a long period of years, there are nuances. There's a lot of depth for me. It just didn't hit me all that quickly. No, it, it uh, this, this EP rewards patience. Yeah, for sure. Some people got it right away. And you like, know, yeah, yeah, Rick Conan got it right away. Marty Rickon and, and um, yeah. Craig Zoller and some of my other friends. Uh, yeah. But those are the two that I remember the most just being immediately champions of it and understanding it. Yeah. So uh, Wolf Slayer Abyss, it opens with this swirl of electronic noise called Vortex Void of Inhumanity and launches into I Am Thy Labyrinth. Let's listen to that sequence together. Uh, and discussed after we listen. I want to sort of focus on the last half of Vortex Void and the first part of Labyrinth.
militant men in peaceful times attack themselves. That's great. That's, uh, and although we haven't heard it yet, and it hasn't been birthed yet, we can immediately hear them laying groundwork for Grand Declaration of War, particularly on Vortex Void, the intro, uh, which kind of in itself is a declaration and a meditation on war. Right. It was impossible in 1997 um, not to run into an intro on a death metal or black metal record, right? Right. Um, and I mean, most of them tried the patience of, of even like the most fledgling listener. This, to me, this is one of my favorite intros ever. I, I think it's a very important part of the album. I mean, it, or it is. we're going to call this an album because it's, it might be 25 plus minutes long, but it's, it might as well serve it as an album for all that it gives. But yeah, I, I, th- I think that intro is just, it's a fantastic piece of work. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a true part of it. It's, it, I, don't, I guess I don't think of it as an intro. It just fair enough, right? Yeah, it's a piece, right? It's it's a yeah, piece, right. uh, and, and a very important part of the larger work. It's a it's a piece of war, <laughs> right? Like, but just the the qualities of it itself, just formally speaking. I mean, it's it sounds like the sky being ripped open, mm-hmm. you know. It, but it, it's it's some of the most like tactile sounding synthesizers that I've ever heard. And then you have these these weird like ribbons of electronic noise behind it, and and anyone who hasn't heard this too, there's this really interesting section near the the beginning of it um, that kind of sound like the trumpets of Gabriel. Yeah, um, I've always enjoyed that too. But you know, I, I, I would agree. With, I call it an intro because it's it's shorter. But yeah, no, I, I, get, I, I get your point. I totally it yeah. totally is. But I guess but I'm, but I'm with you, but in the sense that it is is absolutely critical to the impact of of the the work itself and you know then we get into i am thy labyrinth and, and man i, I got to say about the drumming that to me that just gives a visual and sonic image of clashing swords this constant sure. barrage of clanging steel and i get that a lot from like despel omega's best stuff or fastest right. stuff but i also yeah i see armies of thousands just clashing swords <laughs> when, when Hellhammer's playing underneath all of that mayhem you know to me <laughs> right yeah. to me like this is um, like Hellhammer's like debutante ball, you know, like yeah. this is where like the modern magnificent Hellhammer is born. Um, he really starts opening up. His playing is super imaginative and exciting. Um, and, and another thing I wanted to mention about this clip that we played is like the second passage in it is really like moving. And and I was actually drawn to black metal because of like its capacity for emotion and drama, Mayhem rarely indulges those qualities. I mean, right. Mayhem is a savage, dark, as Jeff said, <laughs> storm cloud of chaos. They're like, cold too. Yeah. They're a very cold band. Very cold, very cold. And like this is actually, that second passage is actually sort of inviting. And then you get this, you know, the, the echoes of like the operatic Attila that we, um, encountered in the title track from De Mysteries. Yep. Um, it's mournful and, and romantic. It kind of reminds me of, of early older in a sense. It's like, like this kind of monastic quality too. And I, I think it juxtaposes so interestingly with just the hellish shrieks that Maniac brings to the table. Yeah. I, I, for the most part on this EP, this album, whatever it is, Maniac is fairly monotone in, in the screeching, um, mm-hmm. but he does introduce enough of that sort of stuff, as we just heard, that to me does kind of link back, builds a bridge back to the Mr. East. It, it builds a bridge back and it builds a bridge forward. 
that it does yeah exactly because we we hear him expand his range quite a bit on the next album but yeah i mean i just uh, labyrinth to me is just this sort of white knuckle blast into the wolves den you know i mean it is an apocalyptic din i mean we're in hell here we are uh <laughs> and yeah i again I, I know you said it i'll say it again hellhammer's malevolence on this is just incredible i, I think he was really good on day mysterious for no, no doubt about it oh no no he, he yeah he's great but um, a little little more one-dimensional relatively right right uh, here he's just doing a lot more there's a lot more flair there's a lot more nuance to what what he's doing totally yeah. totally and even like on things that we don't play, like there's a lot of like, you know, syncopation, inventive hi-hat work and stuff that we um, hear on Grand Declaration that he starts to introduce into the framework on, on uh, Wolf Slayer. For sure. But even talking about all the nuances and stuff, would you say that compared to, you know, pre-Blasphemer Mayhem, uh, that this is a stiffer, more militant mayhem? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would and I think that's maybe the quality that I didn't connect to right away about it and, and what I needed time for. That, that might be it. I'm trying to puzzle why uh, I didn't love Wolf Slayer Abyss out of the, out of the box, you know? Right. Well, it, it's, it's very cold. Yeah. May, you know, it may be also, like, just as, as my own sort of journey as a Mayhem fan, it may be my appreciation for things like Ordo Ad Ko and uh, Grand Declaration of War, also very, very cold albums in their own ways. And, and I guess maybe it's an appreciation of those that gets me back to Wolf Slayer Abyss and makes me go, aha, I, I get it now, especially, you know, Blasphemer's contribution. Yeah, totally. Let's listen to the next song on Wolf Slayer Abyss, Fall of Seraphs. Some pretty great chord voicings by Blasphemer on this for sure. Yes. Uh, that I think build a pretty strong bridge and a pretty strong case uh, to, back toward Euronymous and why why this is the true mayhem. You just took the wind out of my sails, man. Oh. <laughs> that was like all the shit I was going to say when we came back.
Jeez. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> there, there is, there is indeed more to say about all that. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, you know, I, mean, I, I think we should talk about maniac a little bit. I, I was just going to go there and you know, I, I have a, it, this, this episode almost feels like, like a confession because <laughs> I, I remember talking to Zoller at this time uh, or shortly after, I think we met shortly after this came out we're, this was a big thing in his world at the time and you know, mayhem are always interesting for me. So I have plenty of things to say about it. And um, he, uh, he was just so much uh, in awe of maniacs performance on this EP. And I just remember saying to him how I thought it was one dimensional. And of course I'm listening to these snippets. And of course, over the last 20 plus years, I've gotten deeper and deeper into this thing and really deeper into the understanding of like maniac's voice. This is not one dimensional at all. I, and, and it's, uh, it's a weird personal journey we take with music sometimes because I think I might've been like maybe bored with some of the, some of the aspects of this EP at the time and then just wasn't listening close enough. I, I don't know, man, but I was wrong. I mean, I, I was so wrong. This is maniac. To me, this is maniac at his, like the, the extreme vocals are like his fringe lunatic best it sounds like he's reaching into like unknowable dimensions of of chaos and and fear and hell and 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 two you get those really like disconsolate clean vocals too um that that do sort of harken back to the chanting of attila but are 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 his as well i mean i think he takes ownership of that on this yeah, I mean, even when he went back to the more feral sort of approach uh, on Chimera after, you know, after the, 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 the great elaboration of Grand Declaration of War, a very different kind of maniac there. Um, and it wasn't as interesting, you know, it just didn't have as much depth as it does on Wolf's Lair Abyss. So I feel like right. in the course of these, this short piece of work, it, uh, it's maniac at kind of a certain peak, yeah. There's also a, another um, aspect of the guitar work too that I'd like to mention. Um, so you you talked about the you know the characteristic chord voicings that would really sort of uh, almost define Grand Declaration. I, and I, it is it, look as exceptional as Hellhammer is on it and Maniac. I think you and I can agree that uh, that Grand Declaration is Blasphemer's album. Right. Well, I, I think I think any fan of that album probably would agree with that too. Sure, I mean, right. Maniac's a huge focal point, uh, Hellhammer as yeah. well. But but yeah, yeah, Blasphemer carries that thing and brings it home. It's 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 totally his album, and, and his masterpiece. And on on the the clip we just played, there's a little moment of like muted tremolo picking with these um, kind of syncopated rhythmic punctuations, and. It's not the like the level of calculus that you find on um, Grand Declaration, but it's still like the first time in like the mayhem journey that you hear that kind of rhythmic device being employed. Like yeah. I don't think of mayhem in a, a rhythmic context typically. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like this overwhelming blur where all the parts sort of synthesize together to create this effect and like he like introduced a kind of rhythm that Euronymous hadn't yet explored. Maybe he would have again, you know, we, we can't speak for the dead, but I, you know, I, I like going back during um, these, these listens that I've taken in preparation for the, the show, 
I heard that for the first time. It never really occurred to me before. Um, I heard, er, you know, other sort of anticipations of the Grand Declaration sound, but that one escaped me until now. That's a good one, and it's and it's funny because I think Blasphemer is 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 a great. I don't even want to say replacement. I think that's a little bit. Um, that's not very respectful. But <laughs> right, it's not respectful. But I I feel like um, Blasphemer as much as he owns mayhem and would go on to own them with grand declaration. He also looks back. Like he also has, uh, I think a kind of reverence for Euronymous as a style. And I think you hear, I hear the, the court of voicings I was talking about. They remind me of the things that Euronymous was doing on like freezing moon. Uh, right. Kind of the slower, kind of more sweeping, you know, using all six strings yep. sort of thing. That's what I hear in fall of seraphs. And um, yeah, that's, that's a real high point comes right in the middle there's a lot to talk about. There's actually a little part in Fall of Seraphs that comes later, not a part that we played. I, I was tempted to play it, but as per our usual dictum, I just, you know, I didn't want to play everything. But around the 4.30 mark of Fall of Seraphs, there's this weird sort of artificial thunderclap. I don't know, you know, it's probably just drums with some effects on it. Um, it, it announces the next moment. It's like, boom, and then they move on. And it's just this moment that like cranks up the speed into like total fuckulation. It, it's just, hyperdrive. Yeah, and it's one of these beautiful traits of mayhem where they're crashing along, tons of intensity already, like you're already feeling it. And then they suddenly make a very fast transition into something else. Switching gears, they increase the intensity level even higher. And, and I love that about mayhem, that like just when you think you're like at the edge, no, they're going to take you to another. <laughs> yeah. So Ancient Skin comes next. And this is weird because this song opens up. We're not going to play the opening, but it's it's – it very instantly has this more necro feel in the guitar tone. Did you, have you noticed this? I have. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's some other things that I've, I've noticed about the song as well. Yeah. I actually feel like some of the guitar voicings in this song are unlike anything else that you will find in the, the mayhem discography. They like, I really hear a lot of um, early Dodheim's guard in, in some of the guitar work. Okay. It's yeah. like this mournful, um, almost emotionally open quality that you re like a vulnerability that you never get in mayhem. Okay. Um, and I, I, it really struck me this time. Yeah. And I think the tone adds to that. To me, there's this kind of yep. more, more basement dwelling, sort of garagey, almost raw, deliberate reach back into something earlier. Yeah, I, I hear know, that. Whether hear that's it. early Dottom's Guard, whether that's Death Crush or whatever uh, early gorgoroth i mean it's it's there and we don't get much of that on the rest of this of this work so something from the dark past <laughs> indeed from the dark past um but yeah no let up in ferocity on this tune but i guess that's kind of goes without saying because this is mayhem let's play let's play a little bit of ancient skin
Yeah, so there they go again with that big thunderclap and then like even faster, right? They did it again. Right. They did it again. I also see exactly what you mean about the the guitar sound and, and some of the melodies on there. Almost to the point that it feels like it could be a cover song. You know, it sticks out just a little bit that way. Right. In terms of the emotive element of that. It's not. And I think it works within the context of the EP. It always does kind of stick out a little bit to me. Mm-hmm. And I always wonder if this was a song. I haven't read on it. Maybe it's out there hundreds of times and we look dumb, but maybe this was the first thing they wrote after they got together, you know, post you Could be. Could be. Seems like it could have that sort of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, even the the guitar work at the end of the song, that kind of like monolithic floating blocks of sound yeah. um, that you get Day Mysterious. Like Day Mysterious is a very um, like slow moving record in a lot of ways, despite its ferocity and everything. Like the changes on it occur pretty slowly. <laughs> yeah, you know what I, you know what I'm saying. Like I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it can be. Yeah, it, it, anyway. No, I know what you mean. In fact, in yeah. fact, I never thought of it this way, but it does. When I'm when I've listened to Day Mysteries in the past, like I sometimes feel like I have cinder blocks on my feet and I will not go anywhere. Like, exactly. It's it's, it's 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 like frozen. It's the most sluggish, fast ass record ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like exactly. Uh, and maybe that is. Maybe that's because it doesn't. It's not interested in changing very quickly. You know, it doesn't turn. Well, I think it's like there's a, a an interest in inducing trance. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. You know, def, definitely yeah. fascinating record. And I again, trance is a good call too because this record definitely puts me there in the best times. And um, For sure. that continues on the final track. I have a lot to say about this one. This is called Symbols of Blood Swords. This is a huge turning point for Mayhem. This is a huge announcement of Grand Declaration of War. Uh, this song basically blatantly reveals where they're going to go after this. The, the lyric that opens the song, all the stars in the north are dead now. You might recall that the final lyrics on Grand Declaration of War are all the stars in the north died. So it's like they had this like overarching concept yeah. you know, that right. spanned four or five years. And I don't think anybody saw that at the time. It was hard to see because this was mayhem. This was not a high concept sort of band, but there you go. And, and I think that's, that's evidence of the announcement. There's also the final English lyrics. There's some Latin later uh, in symbols of blood swords read one war remains war of everything. And then of course we have the song a blood sword and a colder sun on grand declaration you know, which ties in thematically to symbols of blood swords. Um, and then we have a musical theme near the end of the symbols of blood sword song. It's the guitar theme. It's a snippet. We're going to sample here. We hear this opening up grand declaration of war as well. I, I think blasphemer morphs and mutates this theme throughout the entire album of grand declaration. If I'm getting into like a really sort of esoteric spot and, but we really wind up at the final strains of completion and science of agony after two daemonium, but I just, I just find this whole essence of mayhem, the symbols of blood swords into Grand Declaration thing, so tightly wound conceptually and thematically. And I would wager, and like you said, I haven't read on this and I have no confirmation of this, but I would wager that this was the last thing that they wrote for the EP and what they used as a, as a thread from conceptually and, and musically from here into Grand Declaration of War. 
You're right. And you wonder, you wonder how much of Grand Declaration they might have had at this time in terms of just... Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think Grand Declaration just appeared out of nowhere in 2000. I'm sure that Blasphemer was already exploring the formal aspects of Grand Declaration at this time. Yeah. So let's take a listen to what we're talking about. Symbols of Blood Swords. Uh, we're going to hit it about the three minute mark until the end. We're going to go into what we hear as the opening to Grand Declaration of War. We'll hear a very familiar theme and just a little tidbit of the final moments of Grand Declaration of War where Blasphemer is just really off in piggy land and doing this Voivodian guitar recording all by himself. Lonely little Blasphemer out there.
Hmm. Is that full circle? <laughs> is that a thread undiscovered? What is that? Maybe. Here's something. Wolf Slayer Abyss was part one of Grand Declaration of War because on the Grand Declaration album, we see part two and part three are, of course, the two halves of that album. They, they make that very clear. So I think we're supposed to assume that Wolf Slayer is part one. So if that's the case, is Chimera Grand Declaration of War part four and is Ordo Adkeo Grand Declaration of War part five? Because I could live with that. I hear a lot of it in Chimera. I'm not sure that I hear it in Ordo. I think Ordo is a new beginning for Mayhem. Well, Attila comes back. There's no maniac, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's perhaps a point-counterpoint for but, another time, maybe. Yeah, but there's, there's also like a deep like murkiness and you know, sort of arcane unknowability about Ordo um, that I, I think is different from the very like explicit, um, militaristic, cold feel of the, I, I guess what we would, we would call the, the Grand Declaration era of this band. Sure. Um, I, mean, yeah. I think it, it, yeah. it's back into something more, more ancient and more cult that they were trying to summon in the, you know, the earlier days of the band. Sure, sure. That's a good point. I mean, uh, I think there's something very present about the, we'll call it the maniac era, you know, uh, right, right, right. Uh, because blasphemer is of course still in Ordo Ad Chaos. but, uh, yeah, Ordo is weird. I just, I don't know. I like to think of that whole era with blasphemer as a sort of narrative that is unbroken, but yeah, Ordo is disrupts something too, because <laughs> I love that album. I know you're a bit uh, off on that one and that we've talked about maybe doing a point counterpoint show on that album. We'll, we'll see one day, but I don't think anybody, even people like me that love that album, I don't, you can't get close to it. Nobody says I'm super into Ordo Ad Chaos. Nobody's into that album. People that are, <laughs> people that listen to it and enjoy it in some weird way are on the outside looking in on that one. Right. I'm, just, I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. You know, <laughs> like nobody's like, like, God, that she will yeah. never love you back. Yeah. Like wall of water just keeps going through my head. Like, I'm like, come on. You know, <laughs> not that anybody's ever said that. I'm yeah. Trying to make a point, but um, there you have it. Wolf Slayer Abyss. We're going to move out of Norway for now. We will be back soon. No doubt. Next episode, we're visiting a very different location, New Jersey. And I'm not talking about being in Ken Golden's basement. We'll be delving into the curious four-album, eight-year career of the bizarre old, or OLD, or if you're super old school, old lady drivers. Provided we don't break our hips between now and then, we'll see you in two weeks for more Radical Research Madness. Cheers.
Let's try to get it. <laughs> what? What is that? Obituary. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't do a very good John Hardy. No, but that's no, fine, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate the effort quite a bit. 